0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Sad episode today. Um, the Yankees season is over. The 2021 season comes to a end with a with a whimper. Really. Um, Tuesday night, they played the Boston Red Sox in a wild card game, and were just dominated. From the get go, um, it starts off with a Xander Bogarts two run homer and Yankees never fully recovered. I have some notes on the game. And then, of course, after we get to go through all that and what happened, what went wrong, all that, we're going to talk a little bit about what we can possibly expect from the Yankees this offseason. Uh, it's shaping up to be really. Probably one of the biggest off-seasons in Yankee history. Um, and that that's saying a lot. You know, this isn't a team that... It, it's not like back in 2015, 2016 when, uh, you know, everyone retired pretty much, right? They had the 2009 team, and they were competitive for about another four years, three, four years. And then everyone started retiring. Jeter retires. Um, Jeter retires, A-Rod retires, Teixeira retires, CC retires, even though CC kind of stuck around up until a couple years ago, um, and it is, it's different now because you have decisions to make, right? None of these guys outside of Brett Gardner are guys that are going to retire, uh, even though Brett Gardner did say last night that he hopes it wasn't his final game in pinstripes, he'd love to come back, which I swear to fucking God if he comes back, man, like, just, retire please retire with some dignity right like you come back it's just going to keep getting worse for you and 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 Yankees fans are going to start to resent you don't do that do not do that i know you want to win another title but like just <laughs> just don't do it please um so for the game you know it, it was it was worst case scenario for the Yankees uh Gerrit Cole goes Two and a third, uh, not, not good, not good. Three runs, and uh, including a two-run homer to Bogarts. It, it it was a it was a doomsday outing. Um, Cole said after the game about his performance, he's sick to his stomach about it, and obviously all over Twitter and people were ragging him like this is the guy the Yankees paid three hundred plus million dollars to. Uh, can't even get out of the third inning, blah, blah blah it was uh it was devastating. and Cole wasn't a hundred percent healthy, but there's no excuse because, I mean, he didn't even have a good September, let alone just this start. Uh, I know he he did have a hamstring issue, I believe it was, but that's again, it's no no excuse because he just didn't have a good September. And it, it it bled over into this wild card game, um, and the, and the Red Sox jumped on him, man. They jumped on him. That that pitch to Bogarts, hanging change up, ended up right down the middle of the plate. Bogarts belts it to dead center field. So it, it's it's unfortunate, obviously, that that's what you got out of Garrett Cole. But you bring in the bullpen, who does a phenomenal job, really. You know, Clay Holmes comes in. He does really well. Luizaga comes in. Or uh, Severino comes in. He does really well up until he walks a couple guys. Luizaga gets out of it. Then he walks two straight. And then Chad Green comes in. He retires, uh, I think, one or two batters. And um, maybe one batter. And then lets up a RBI double to Verdugo. Or two RBI double to Verdugo. Um, with bases loaded or something like that, it ended up being, uh, well, Severino let up a run and that was made a 4-1 and then Chad Green let a bases loaded double to Verdugo or second and third double to Verdugo, whatever. Two runs scored. That made it 6-1 and then Stanton was able to wrap it around the pesky pole the other way for a home run. He should have had three home runs that game. That was... Demoralizing, you know. First inning, belts one, hits the top of the monster, ends up being a long single. Then the Yankees are rallying, and this is probably, I think, the turning point of the game. Cora makes a really bad decision. Um, I don't care what anyone says. I think even Red Sox fans at the time were like, "What are we doing here?" If all these dealing, he's got, he's in the. I think it's the sixth inning at this point. Um, he's got. 70-something pitches, a bunch of strikeouts, a ton of swing and misses. He's he's locked in, man. He is locked in. And first batter of the inning, um, or second batter in the inning is Anthony Rizzo. He hangs a curveball middle of the plate down, and Rizzo hits it to right field and wraps it around the pesky pole. He hits it about 350 feet. And it's a home run past the pesky pole. Yankees are on the board. It's 3-1. Okay, awesome. Then he gets Aaron Judge swinging at two... uh, He gets uh, two outside pitches, fastballs. Two strikes immediately on Judge. And Judge ends up working the count a little bit before hitting the ball off the end of his bat to shortstop slowly. And Bogarts isn't able to throw him out. Judge... Beats it out on foot. So back to back hits there off Ivaldi after striking out whoever it was. Uh, Velazquez, I guess. And that's another thing I want to talk about is the Yankee lineup, but we'll get there. So back to back hits, home run from Rizzo, infield single by Judge, and. Cora takes him out. I think every Yankee fan had a huge sigh of relief when Alex Cora came trotting out of the dugout to pull Nathan Ivaldi because he was dealing and the Yankees had a whole lot of nothing going up against him and he brings in Ryan Brazier who stinks, by the way. So, he brings in Brazier to face uh, Stanton. And he hangs a pitch to Stanton, who belts it again, misses a home run by probably a foot, hits off the top of the monster, and this is the game-changing moment here. Kike uh, Hernandez plays it pretty well off the monster, throws a one-hopper to Bogarts, who throws an absolute dart, a dime to Ploiecki behind the plate, who tags out Judge by a fucking mile. So the question here is, what the hell is Phil Nevin doing, the third base coach for the Yankees? Probably, when they showed the wide angle on the broadcast, the wide angle of when you see the ball coming in from Kike Hernandez and where Judge is, all you do, you just throw your head back and you're like, what is Phil Nevin doing? What are you doing sending Aaron Judge? This isn't Tyler Wade. If this is Tyler Wade, he scores. I, I, I really do believe that. But, you know, not a lot of people are as fast as Tyler Wade. He's, he's the, probably the fastest guy on the Yankees. He has the best speed on that, on that roster. This is Aaron Judge, who is an athlete, and for someone his size, can move pretty well around the base paths. But scoring from first to home... On a ball hit at the top of the monster in that short left field, that's that's not easy, you know? So, he should have held him. Obviously, he should have held him. Uh, he sends Judge, he gets tagged out by a mile, Stan ends up on second base, and the camera sk- uh, catches him screaming, fuck, because he's pissed. That that just happened. And as soon as it did, I mean, that turns the entire game around. I mean, Boston's up 3 1 at that point, but you just had a home run from Rizzo in this inning. You had an infield single from Judge. Evaldi gets pulled from the game, who you really, up until those two hits, weren't able to do anything against. And you get into the Red Sox bullpen, which was a huge point, I assume, because it was a point for me as a fan for the Yankees to do, so I assume Aaron Boone had some type of other point where they they needed to get to the Red Sox bullpen because that gave them a better shot to win. (coughs) So you get to the Sox bullpen, which isn't good, by the way. I, I, I need to make that abundantly clear. The Red Sox have a wildly inconsistent bullpen, and the Yankees have had several wins this year against the Red Sox, as early as this past three-game series in September against them, where they scored a ton of runs in the last three innings of the game because the Red Sox bullpen just could not get outs. Their bullpen is suspect, okay? So that was a huge, a huge, huge, huge morale boost to get Evaldi out of that game. And you're you're stringing a couple hits together. Stan has his his second piss missile of the game off the top of the monster. You hold Judge, even if you think you should send him, you have to be aware of the situation in that game. Unless there's a miscue in the outfield where there's a bobble or a boot of the ball or something, then you can send him, obviously. But when it's played pretty cleanly like that by Kike Hernandez in center field, regardless, you you have to be aware of the situation and you have to know, Okay, I'm not sending Judge on the sheer possibility he gets thrown out because that would kill our inning. So you hold him at third. Then you get Stanton and Judge at second and third with one out. Gallo at the plate. That, that is a recipe for a high leverage situation. Uh, Brazier might not want to... Who knows what happens from there? Brazier gets a little nervous. Gallo's at the plate. He doesn't want to give him anything good to hit. He walks him. Now their bases are loaded. uh, And and there's just a lot of possibilities that can happen there. Torres comes up to the plate now. Bases loaded. Who knows, right? Brazier is not that good. And he has to face Torres in that situation because of the three-batter rule when you bring in uh, an opposing uh, pitcher, a relief pitcher. So there's a a whole thing slew of things that could have happened if he just held Judge at third. Instead, he gets thrown out by a mile at home. Stanton's pissed off at second base. It kills your inning. Brazier attacks Gallo and gets him to pop up. That's the game right there. I mean, all the, all the momentum that the Yankees built all happened and all went away in that one inning because they, they never recovered. It's 3-1 at that point. The Red Sox come back in the bottom of the inning. They tack on a, another run, make it 4-1. And then again, in the bottom of the seventh, they tack on two more to make it 6-1. And then we have the Stanton homer at the end in the ninth. Uh, he finally gets his home run. He said, fuck it. I can't hit it over the monster today. So let me go the other way and wrap it around the pesky pole. I mean, he was, this entire last, even month and a half of the season, dating back to August... Like, Giancarlo Stanton has been nothing but phenomenal for the New York Yankees. He, he has done everything that has ever been expected of him for the past couple years. He, he showed it. He got as red hot and as locked in as any baseball player is capable of doing. And when he's locked in, it's a lot different than when, you know, some other Joe Schmo is locked in. This is an MVP caliber talent of a baseball player. And has he had his struggles? Yeah, of course he has. But when you, you, you pay him the money, you pay him and you trade it for him because of what he did and what he's capable of doing. He, he was probably one of the best players in all of baseball the past month or so of the season. Now, if you string that along to multiple months, even a full season, that's when you come out as an MVP, which he has done before. We know he's capable of that. So hopefully he brings that kind of momentum into next year. Um, as for the Red Sox, I heard, it, I heard an interesting tidbit from R2C2, which is, uh, I think, Ryan Rucco and CeCe Sabathia's podcast. CC mentioned that, uh, you know, this is a Red Sox team in 2018. That won the World Series with J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, uh, you know, David Price, all, all these different guys. And three years later, here they are, completely different core, and they're, they're right back in, in the hunt, going to the ALDS, beating the Yankees again. So his whole thing is, how the fuck does that happen? He said that too. How does this happen? Like, if the Yankees, who had pretty much the same core, adding other pieces, adding Rizzo in this year specifically, adding Rizzo, adding Gallo. Um, you know, you signed Garrett Cole a couple years ago. Now, how does this happen? How do you go? How, how are the Red Sox able to win a World Series, break it down, and then miss the playoffs two years in a row, and then come right back? and be the, the team that they are now, a 90-plus win team, just like the Yankees? How does this happen? And, and this is where this conversation goes. So we covered the, the game. We, we know what happened. Um, Red Sox punched their ticket to play the Rays in the ALDS. Good luck with that, by the way. Uh, I, I think Tampa Bay is probably just going to roll, honestly. And something about Tampa Bay, I just remembered last night, for whatever reason, they lost Tyler Glasnow back in, like, May. <laughs> it's like, that's their best pitcher. And they're, here they are, still a 100-win team and in the ALDS. Uh, they probably beat Boston. I would expect them to beat Boston. I wouldn't even have liked the Yankees' chances to beat the Rays in the ALDS if the Yankees got past the Red Sox. So, either way, I, I think the Rays are probably favorite there. Um, anyway, we know about all of that. It's time to get into what 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 can we expect from the Yankees this off season? Um, obviously, things that happen, I'll keep updated on the podcast, and we get to talk about it and stuff. But what I expect to happen, there's a few things. Um, number one, as t- in terms of the roster, the actual players that you're putting out on the field every day, Judge, Stanton. Cole, Severino, and that might be it. That might be it. Uh, Those those are the four guys that you really, I think, if this year proved anything at all, anything at all, is that those four guys are going to be the core of your team. Judge and Stan in the middle of the lineup, and Cole and Severino pitching back-to-back as your one-and-two starters. That, that is what needs to happen. And obviously, they need to stay healthy. Severino has had injuries that have, have cost him two years of the prime of his career, which has been devastating. Um, seeing him back and pitching pretty well was very nice. Um, Cole is still a top five pitcher in baseball. I really don't care what anyone says. Uh, Judge and Stanton, two guys who have been ragged on for not being able to stay on the field. This year, they stayed on the field, and guess what? They, Judge, at least, put up MVP type of numbers, and Stanton had his best year since his MVP year. Like, these are two guys that have shown when they are healthy, they are still just as good as anybody out there. So, those four guys are untouchable. Glaber Torres, um, he's borderline. You know, this is a guy who was absolutely horrendous for like three quarters of the year playing shortstop offensively dog shit defensively even worse he made that shift back over to second base and it worked wonders from him it was like a a great weight has been lifted from his shoulders he played better defensively made a couple of nice defensive plays last night even and because he's playing better defensively obviously mentally that affects you if you're constantly being ragged on for how piss poor your defense is and You know, you're unsure about yourself, you're unsure physically you're making mistakes, mentally you're making mistakes. It's very, very, very difficult. No matter how many people say, oh, short-term memory, short-term memory, it is very, very difficult to forget about your struggles and and go up to that plate and have a clear mind and be focused on that bat. So it, it was just a horrendous year for Gleyber Torres, but... You could see there was a palpable change in his entire play, in his, his psyche, his, his emotion. It looked like he was finally having fun again when he got moved back to second base. He should remain there for as long as he's a Yankee. He should be playing second base. Can't play shortstop at the major league level. Can't do it. So leave him at second and, and figure it out. Uh, first base... That's still a, a huge question mark. We can go around the, the, the lineup here. So second base, you could keep Glaber, but when the pay, time comes to pay him, I think it's safe to say he's a giant question mark. First base, there's a vacancy. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is going to be a free agent. I don't think the Yankees keep Luke Voigt. Um, he probably walks and goes somewhere else. So right now... Your options really are, I think, re sign Anthony Rizzo or go and find someone else. Um, I don't think Luke Voigt's an option. Catcher, Kyle Higashioka is a, a good defensive catcher, but he just simply can't be the everyday catcher because offensively, it, he's just not the guy that you want in a lineup. He's, he's a gaping hole in that lineup. So you don't want him. Uh, he, he is a solid backup catcher. I think. To make everyone happy, you're going to have to tell Garrett Cole to fuck off and go out and get a catcher that is both offensively and defensively capable. I'm not talking about a big power slugging, you know, all-star caliber catcher. You know, just get a, a good, reliable backstop who hits 240, 250, 20 homers, you know, something like that. I'm not ask, asking for that much. 15 homers maybe nothing crazy but someone who like what the what the the Red Sox have Plowecki. they have Christian Vazquez is a guy that they plug in there a lot um you know they platoon guys but they do get some production from there you know so catcher is a big question mark Gary Sanchez I think it's it's over for Gary Sanchez which is uh a significant moment because A lot of people pointed to Gary Sanchez as the fact why Joe Girardi didn't get re-signed by the Yankees and they just let him walk. Uh, He didn't get fired, if you remember. His contract was up and they didn't re-up him. So they just let him walk, which is what might happen to Boone now. We'll get to that. Um, But Girardi took a team in the 2016 season. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Hold on a second. So Gary Sanchez is probably done. Higashioka is not the answer. The catcher's spot is a huge question mark. Third base, you have a few options here. Um, third base and shortstop. Your left side of the infield is kind of up for grabs. Giro Urshela, uh, he has been nothing but excellent for the Yankees. I think more than anyone could have ever imagined th- this guy coming in and doing what he's done for the Yankees. Uh, very obviously still hindered by that leg injury that he suffered from flying into the Rays dugout, making that uh tremendous catch. He was not totally healthy for the Red Sox, couldn't really leg out any type of, you know, infield single possibilities. Um just just wasn't hundred percent healthy. He ended up getting pulled from the game uh for Odor. So you have. Urshela, who's an option at shortstop at third base moving forward. You have DJ LeMahieu, who's an option at third base. Uh, Losing DJ LeMahieu towards the end of the season with a sports hernia. A humongous blow, but we can't really pick and choose here because J.D. Martinez also was not uh, available for the game for the Red Sox. So, you know, we lose DJ, they lose J.D. Kind of offsets, I think. Can't really lay on that as, as, a, uh, as an excuse. But it did hurt, obviously. It did hurt. Just as I'm sure it hurt the, the Red Sox not have JD in there, even though they put up six runs. Uh, so losing DJ wasn't great. You'll have him back. He'll be fine. It's just a sports hernia. He'll be okay. Uh, but you can have him at third base, Gio at short, Glaber at second, first and catcher kind of up in the air. In terms of the outfield, Aaron Hicks has got to go. I don't. I don't know what his contract situation is currently, but he he's got to get the hell out of here. I I am sick of him. Guy simply cannot stay on the field, and he really hasn't been able to stay on the field for his entire tenure as a New York Yankee. The unfortunate part here is that now that I'm just looking up his contract, he is not a free agent until 2027 he's owed a shit ton of money um about 40 million dollars worth actually more (laughs) um wow paying 10 million a year to just sit on the bench because he's injured that's crazy uh and if you don't believe me i mean he played 123 games his first year with the Yankees, then 88, 137. In the past three years, he's played about 137 combined total games. Played 137 in 2018, 59, 54, 32. And so in 2020, that doesn't count. 54 games, that's almost the entire season, which, congratulations, it was a shortened season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is... That, that's, that's brutal. That's a brutal contract. Uh, he needs He needs to go. You know, I, I think if he's on the roster next year, he's going to be the starting center fielder, but you have to have some type of contingency plan because there's just no shot he's going to stay healthy. Just no shot. Uh, Brett Gardner, he needs to retire. No getting around that. He needs to retire. Uh, Clint Frazier, what a disaster He's ha- uh, of a career he's had so far. I really feel for this kid. I really, really, really do. Um. He just could never get right. I don't think he even ended up playing in the minor leagues. He had some type of weird vertigo thing going on. Uh, s- something freaky going on with him. So he he needs to get right uh, physically first before he can even try and play baseball again. So I don't know what's up with him. Uh, Tyler Wade can stay. I like Tyler Wade. Andrew Velazquez can stay. I like him on the bench. That's totally fine. He provided a, a pretty good spark, contributed meaningful time in the lineup when he played for the Yankees. Uh, I, I don't know who else I'm missing here, um, but it, it's just there, there are definitely a lot of question marks. There are definitely a lot of players that have to go because I swear to God, if we run it back next year with essentially the same exact team, I'm going to fucking have a aneurysm. You just, you you can't do it. You can't run it back for the fourth year in a row, fifth year in a row with the same team. And that brings me to Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman. Aaron Boone has a ridiculously stupid quote last night saying, the league has closed the gap on us. We've got to get better in every aspect. Um, Here's the thing. That's a wild quote because what gap? It's not like you've just won two, three World Series. This isn't the 90s, right? You haven't just rattled off a couple World Series wins in a row, and now suddenly you're not the powerhouse that you once were just a few years ago. Like the league closed the gap on you. No, you haven't even made it to a World Series. What gap are you talking about? If anything, you're in the thick of it. So that's just a a wildly stupid and tone deaf quote from Aaron Boone. And if it's one of the last quotes he gives, as the manager of the New York Yankees, that's a hell of a quote, man. So, if it wasn't obvious, his tenure hasn't been what people expected. He took over for Joe Girardi, who took a team that was considered to be a rebuild, if you remember correctly. The Yankees that year in 2016, whatever it was, 2017. That's a rebuild year. Um, no one expected them to be as good as they were. Gary Sanchez. Aaron Judge, they come in, they dominate. Judge finishes second in MVP, wins Rookie of the Year. Gary Sanchez is balling out. And they go to Game 7 of the ALCS against the Astros and lose. Girardi doesn't get re-upped. So the Yankees let him walk. They hire Aaron Boone. Boone goes, if I remember correctly, Divisional series loss to the Red Sox. ALCS loss to the Astros. ALDS loss to the Rays. Wildcard loss to the Red Sox. His contract's up. Do the Yankees re-sign Aaron Boone? That depends on a lot of things. Um, I think... Personally, the person who should be held more accountable here instead of Aaron Boone is Brian Cashman. Cashman is the guy who did the rebuild. He is the guy who let Girardi go. Joe Girardi, notoriously known for actually being a manager and wanting to manage his own baseball team the way he manages baseball teams. Shocking, I know. Cashman didn't want that as part of the rebuild even though they just made Game 7 of the ALCS, he lets Girardi go, he hires his guy who he can essentially pull the strings of and be his little puppet master, who is Aaron Boone. Cashman has been the guy. The analytics nerds tell him what to do. He's the one who's making the decisions. He has entirely too much power. He's no longer just a GM. He has entirely too much power over the day-to-day operations of the New York Yankees. Too much. So either he takes a step back and they go out and they hire someone who's actually going to be able to manage this team and inspire some grit and some consistency in this Yankee team, or Steinbrenner makes the move and he fires him. I think that's the least likely scenario. Um... If we're being completely transparent, the most likely scenario is Cashman continues to do what he does and Boone gets fired. Uh, If everyone goes and they clean house, that would be interesting. Certainly be interesting, but I just don't think that's what's going to happen. So, I think Sanchez is gone. Voight's gone. Gallo, I was was forgetting about uh, Joey Gallo. He's probably gone, you know, you don't really need a guy hitting, even if he does provide 35 to 40 home runs and 90 to 100 RBIs a year, I don't really know if you need a guy hitting 200 in your lineup, uh, even though his OPS was like 800, which honestly isn't that bad. You, you can't, 800 uh, is actually pretty good, all things considered, if you're hitting 200, you know, still getting on base, uh, still hitting the ball. I just, I don't know. Joey Gallo, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he stays. Um, That does create a little bit of an interesting outfield situation. If he does, if Giancarlo Stanton can play the outfield more, that's better. You have so many questions on the roster, in the front office, managerial-wise. Something needs to change for the New York Yankees. And I think over the coming weeks here, leading up to the World Series, and, and after that, we're going to be getting some really significant news from the Yankees. We're not going to hear anything right now, I don't think, but in the coming weeks, certainly by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, I'm sure we'll have some type of answer in terms of uh, Aaron Boone's stat- status as the manager and Brian Cashman's status uh, in the front office Yeah, it's it's something needs to change, man. Because that I keep thinking about that CC Sabathia quote, uh, and the Yankees have had the same core. They've brought guys in, they've signed players, they've traded for players, and they haven't gotten into a World Series. Whereas the Red Sox won in 2018. They traded away arguably the best player in baseball in Mookie Betts. Broke it down. Kept two core, three core guys, three guys, right? They kept, our four guys technically, they kept Sale, J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, and Devers. Raphael Devers has emerged as a incredible baseball player. So they kept three guys plus the emergence of Devers, and this is uh, a team that is now back in the, in the mud, right? They're, they're back in the thick of it competing for a World Series, and it sickens me to my core. It sickens me that the, the Red Sox are able to do this and the Yankees have just been kind of stuck in the same place. Uh, you know, they got to the ALCS twice. That's nice. Once with Boone, once with Girardi. And that's nice, but, you know, haven't even made a World Series since 2009. The 2010s were the only decade, I think, ever, Or maybe since the 70s? No, they won in the 70s, I think. Maybe the 60s? I don't know. It's maybe ever that the Yankees haven't at least made a World Series. The 2010s. Haven't even made a World Series. Tough. Tough. Something needs to change. Some less bad news. Uh, The Giants and the Jets are off the schneid. We're not really going to do a deep dive of week four, uh, just because the Yankees took up a large portion of this episode. Football is probably going to dominate now the rest of the way. But week four, Giants and Jets, first time ever that both New York teams won in an overtime game in the same week. Pretty nutty. Um, I said last week that the Titans' defense was bad. Their secondary was not good. Zach Wilson might have a ton of success throwing against them, and he did threw a couple of absolute bombs on the run, down like 40, 50 yards downfield. The kid's got a cannon. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question about it. The kid can throw the ball. It's just rookie mistakes. You know, he works out the kinks. He works out the mistakes. But I, I really do think that Zach Wilson is a guy that can, can lead the Jets. Uh, he did have another pick this game, but that's okay. Two touchdowns, 300 yards, and a win in overtime against the Titans, who are not a bad team. Uh, they obviously are not a bad team. They have a good offense. They've made a lot of mistakes this game, though, and their defense is putrid. So the Jets took advantage. They capitalized. Seven sacks for the Jets. Seven. That's a ton, okay? that That's not like a fluke uh, or, or anything like that. That is very, very, very impressive from that defensive line. Um, Quincy and Quinnen Williams, the brothers too. Three combined sacks between them. So uh, they had a very nice day on the defensive front. And Robert Sal, you know, obviously a defensive guy. And the defense coming out and getting seven sacks. It's definitely a morale boost. Uh, Zach Wilson rolling out of the pocket. Navigating his receivers downfield and throwing them open on the run 40 yards downfield was uh, really a beautiful thing to watch. And it's what you expect of him and, and, and what you wanted from him. Uh, obviously, didn't show that the first few weeks of the season, but you knew he was capable of it. And this, this is the kind of quarterback he can be. Uh, now, are you going to win every game like this? No, obviously not. They do have another back-to-back winnable games here. They travel to London to play the Falcons on Sunday. So, obviously there's no home field advantage there. Both teams are going to have to deal with the consequences of traveling across the pond. And it's kind of even playing ground in that regard. So, a winnable game because the Falcons aren't very good either. And their defense is not good. Uh, We saw what Taylor Heineke did to them on Sunday. He, you know, Terry McLaurin, two really long, deep touchdowns. And Heineke was able to put up 30-plus points on the Falcons. I'm sure Zach Wilson will also be able to put up that kind of number uh, for the Jets. And it is about, really, their defense also. Can they get to Matt Ryan? Can they make him move the pocket, scramble, all that kind of stuff? even though Matt Ryan can't really scramble a whole lot, but you know what I mean. An impressive win for the Jets. And for my Giants, a very impressive overtime win. Down 11 with a little over seven minutes to go. Down 11, Daniel Jones gets the ball and makes a quick strike to Barkley on the catch, and Ronnie blows right past Lattimore, who gets caught looking at Ingram. Catch and score for a touchdown. Uh, Giants defense get a huge stop. Well, they get the score there. They go for two. They convert. Danny Jones runs it in. Uh, Three-point game. So, Giants defense has to stop the Saints. And the Saints actually get, they get a couple first downs. There's a huge penalty. I forget what it was. But it backs them up, makes it like 3rd and 15. They run a screen. Giants defense gets the stop that they needed. Uh, Always a little bit nice. Always nice when you get a little bit of help from the offense making penalties. They get the ball back. Danny drives down the field. I wish they could have scored for a touchdown to end it in regulation. But they are able to get... uh, to knock down a, I think it was like a 48-yard field goal. He shanked Kenny Albert. Jonathan Vilma said he was going to shank it. Uh, he was going to jinx him. And Kenny Albert was like, nah, he'll be fine. Because they mentioned he had like a streak of 37, 38 made field goals in a row or something crazy like that. Um, 35-yard chip shot, shanks it left. They showed the graphic, Kenny Albert said it and everything. And then he shanks it. And Vilma was like, I told you, I told you, sorry, told you. And uh, I agree with him. <laughs> like, it just it, That is what happens. The announcer's jinx is 100% real. Um, but Gano was able to knock down a, this 48-yard uh, field goal to send the game into overtime, which we, makes us get this absolute gem of a soundbite from Jabril Peppers, which I actually want to play. All replays will be taken care of upstairs with the replay. Each team will have an opportunity to possess the ball unless there's an offensive touchdown or a defensive safety. If the game ends in a tie at the end of overtime, it will be recorded as a tie. You're our visiting team. You have the choice. This is tails. This is heads. Heads, heads. heads is the call. Alfred. Alfred. And it is Whoa. heads. We want that motherfucker. So you hear Javiel Peppers. He gets hyped. I think Peppers actually injured himself a little bit during this game. Um, I forgot what the injury was. And he tried to come back in and play. Like play through it. And I think he said he actually made it worse. I'm trying to find his injury report now. And it's a hamstring injury. Um. And this is from bigblueview.com that uh, it is a hamstring injury from Peppers, like I said. And uh, Judge said it'll probably take a couple days to have a full grasp of what uh, he feels, uh, how he feels. So Peppers will probably be a game-time decision against the Cowboys on Sunday, which sucks. If he couldn't play, that would, that would really, really suck. Um, he's obviously a pivotal part of that defense. But back to the game against the Saints. Um, Giants get the ball. They drive down the field. Couple passes to John Ross, who had a 50-yard touchdown by the 50-plus-yard touchdown grab. Big dimes throwing a bomb down the field to him. Uh, In his first action of the year, John Ross, who's getting his second chance at life here in the NFL after he was pretty much completely unused in Cincinnati. So his first game comes in. Catches a big TD bomb from uh, Daniel Jones. He gets a couple catches in overtime. Uh, The Giants run a screen to Barkley that goes for 15-plus yards. Then Daniel Jones hits Kenny Galladay for a couple passes, and Barkley runs it in for about a six-yard touchdown run on a draw play. I crucified Jason Garrett last week. Um, his, his, his offensive play calling and his, his route schemes, everything has just been dog shit, right? He did things right. He finally understood what every Giant fan that watched the games knew. That the Giants are good at RPOs, which is what Daniel Jones ran with Saquon Barkley, was an RPO, and Barkley got the handoff he scored to win the game. And throwing the ball downfield. Daniel Jones is the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. Statistically speaking, he was the best deep ball thrower last year. And he is one of the best in general. Maybe not statistically the best this year, but one of the best. He throws incredibly accurate balls down the field. He's good. He's good like that. So they got Galladay out and running. Galladay had his first hundred plus yard game for the Giants. He had uh, like six or seven catches, 116 yards. He was phenomenal. Hasn't found the end zone yet, but that's okay. He's getting his catches. He's contributing. He had a huge third down catch to put the Giants in field goal range for uh, Gano to send the game into overtime. It was like third and five or third and seven, something like that. They run the play for Galladay because he runs the slant and Jones looks at him immediately and gets him the ball, makes the catch, gets the first down, Eats a hit and sheds another tackle and goes for another about 10-plus yards uh, before being tackled. So a huge catch there. And then he also had another big catch that was 10-plus yard reception from Daniel Jones to put the Giants at the 6-yard line uh, to get Barkley the ball. So they were targeting Galladay in crucial situations when they needed a completion. They were drawing up plays to get him the ball, and him and Jones were really connecting. And he even said after the game, like this is what we, this is what I knew why why I signed with the Giants. I knew this kid could be, could do what he did for us today to lead us to victory. And Daniel Jones had a great game, two touchdowns, an interception, which came at the end of half. He threw up a fifty-yard hail mary, got picked off, um, immediately tackled, no harm, no foul. So he has two interceptions on the year. Only three turnovers the entire year. Two interceptions. One was on an Evan Ingram threw his hands, dropped, that he should have caught. And this one was on a Hail Mary at halftime. And then the only fumble he has that he lost, he got strip-sacked, I think, once, maybe once or twice, but recovered the ball. Um, The one bad fumble he had was week one against the Broncos, diving forward, he got stripped, and he lost the ball. Other than that, three turnovers in four games. Two of them were the interceptions that weren't even his fault. He hasn't made stupid plays. Like he has in the past, he's been very mindful to take care of the football. Um, and, and Jason Garrett, back to my main point, he's finally learning that this is what the Giants are good at. RPOs for Daniel Jones are essential. His legs are a weapon; they're not just something that you know he he uses to buy a little bit more time, maybe scramble every once in a while. Like he really has the ability. To use his legs as a significant offensive weapon. And we're finally running RPOs. We're changing it up. Kadarius Tony finally, finally involved in the offense. Shepard and Slayton missed this game. Kadarius Toney finally gets involved in the offense. He has 70 plus yards catching, uh, receiving the ball with five or six catches. And he made some really nice plays. Made multiple people miss after the catch. He's, a, he's, he's electric. When he has the ball in his hands, he is electric. And that's what you want. And he's finally part of the offense. Now, my biggest fear here is that Slayton and Shepard come back and Kadarius Tony ends up fading into oblivion, which is what I don't want, of course, because he proved that he could play, right? Get him the ball and he will make things happen. Him and Galladay. Two of probably the most frustrated guys in this offense. Two new guys. One's a rookie. One's a vet who just signed here. Uh, And they're like, why am I not getting the ball? Like, I can make... Just get me the ball. I'll make stuff happen. And that's what they're doing. They're drawing up plays for Tony. And they're drawing up plays for Galladay. And they're working. At least they worked against the Saints. Barkley got heavily involved in both the pass and the run game. So... Obviously, we love to see that. Uh, we, we love to see Barkley contributing and, and playing really well. So, also, shout out to the offensive line. They have actually been uh, pretty good this year, all things considered. That, that first week against Denver, I, I've said it already. I really don't count it. It was just a, a horrendous effort on all fronts. But the, the subsequent three weeks, uh, they have not played bad. You know, they, they have played pretty well. Andrew Thomas... He needs to uh, get a nice pat on the back. He has improved tremendously over the course of, uh, from what he was last year to now. Huge, huge improvements. Um, Daniel Jones, first 400-plus yard passing game in his career. The first of many, I would presume. Probably, if I had to guess, he'll have multiple of those this year. Um, so he he was great. Barkley was great. Galladay was great. Tony was great. Uh, the defense got a big stop when they needed to in the fourth quarter. Bradbury had a pick. So they they uh no sacks in this game on both sides. None, zero. Now the Giants did get pressures on Jameis Winston. That should go. That should be noted. They did get pressure on Jameis. Kamara had no catches this game which is, I don't, I don't even know when the last time that happened was. He had 120 yards rushing, zero catches for Alvin Kamara. An anomaly, really. So next up, the G-Men have the Cowboys, who have won three straight since losing the opening Thursday night game to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Tough matchup, for sure. Um, Dak's heating up a little bit. So is Zeke. He had a really good game against uh, Carolina and the Eagles. So back-to-back good games for him. Dak looks good. Uh, that, that offense is potent, man. The defense is going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, but the Giants could put up points point on the Cowboys. They could do it. I believe in them. So that game is the, uh, I think that's the primetime 4 o'clock game on Sunday. Uh, so Jets travel to London, they play at like 9.30 in the morning against the Falcons on Sunday, and the Giants play at 4 o'clock against the Cowboys. We'll run through the rest of the league really, really quickly. Washington beat the Falcons, Terry McLaurin had a really big day, uh, Bills shut out the Texans 40 to nothing. the Bears win 24-14, they officially now announced Justin Fields. As their starter. Cowboys, I just mentioned, beat the Panthers. Who, by the way, the Panthers just trade a sixth-round pick to Steph- for Stefan Gilmore, um, who the Patriots, I think, were gonna release or something like that. Uh, but they trade him, they get him for a sixth-round pick. Uh Colts get their first win of the year. They beat the Dolphins. Browns and Vikings. The Vikings had like an eight-minute opening, eighteen. 18- Play like eight-minute opening drive to score a touchdown against the Browns. They never scored again. They lost uh, 14 to seven. They are one and three, uh, and the Browns are three and one. Jets beat the Titans. We went over that. Chiefs beat the Eagles. Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill hooking up a couple times, uh, 42 to 30. So this Chiefs little pick-me-up game, putting up 40 plus on the Eagles. Cardinals routed the Rams, which was a shocking game. They completely dominated from start to finish. They won 37-20. Seahawks beat the Niners 28-21. Ravens beat the Broncos at mile high 23-7. The Packers dominated the Steelers. And Big Ben, I said it a couple weeks ago after their first loss. I didn't want him to go out sad. He's going out sad. Uh, I mean, he, he can't do anything. Man, it, it really, it, it's, it's unfortunate to see. He, he's getting rocked left and right. He can't do anything. Bucks, Patriots, Tom Brady's return to Gillette Stadium to New England. Buccaneers win 19-17. Nick Folk misses a 50-plus yard field goal, I think it was, in the pouring rain. Doinks it off the left upright. Almost one. Almost won. But Mac Jones played incredibly well. He outplayed Tom Brady. I think that's, uh, that was pretty obvious. He definitely outplayed Tom Brady. But uh, nonetheless, Buccaneers win. Bill Belichick, it was pouring rain, but it's not like Tom Brady hasn't played in the pouring rain before. So Belichick's scheme against Brady, it worked. Uh, 22 of 43 for 269 yards, no touchdowns for Tom Brady. Monday night game was Chargers, Raiders. Justin Herbert showed out, absolutely dominated the Raiders. Them and the Chargers defense, really, give credit to them because the Raiders have been airing it out so far this season, and they could do a whole lot of nothing against the Chargers. They win 28-14. to So that's week four. We're on to week five. The Thursday night game is a good one, Rams-Seahawks. So enjoy that game on Thursday. Enjoy your weekend of Sunday football. Playoff baseball, uh, tonight, Wednesday, is the NL wildcard game between the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Cardinals are red hot, but the Dodgers did win the second most games in all of baseball behind the NL West winning San Francisco Giants. And we need a playoff series between the Dodgers and the Giants. I'm sorry, St. Louis, but you're going to have to take the fall. Uh, my pick, though, is obviously Dodgers. So enjoy that. Enjoy Thursday football, this weekend, playoff baseball, NFL Week 5. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday. Oh, also, P.S., be on the lookout for Friday. Venom movie review episode dropping, discussing the end credit scene, and all that with the MCU. Big things, big things. I'll talk to you all on Friday and then Wednesday. a friend